Awesome, awesome. All right, give the vibe you the big hand. Come on, church, we can do good. We can do good. Yes. Before we uh, uh, go into the sermon, I would like us to uh, read the Word of God. And the Word of God this morning is from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, 22 and uh, 23. <clears throat> Some of you might have a Bible, and you probably are going to follow with me. But for those uh, of you that just want to listen to the Word, I will read it for you. And this is the Word of God for this morning. And if you are able to stand where you are, can you stand so I can read the Word of God for all of us? <clears throat> Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So if you know that, uh, you notice that today is the last Sunday of our uh, uh, 31 days of prayer and fasting. And we've been praying and fasting. Today is 28th day. Uh, it is amazing how the Lord is doing His work in all of our individual, uh, 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 in all of our lives. And I have uh, received emails, uh, verbal Conversations with all of you on how the Lord is working in all of you. Some of you came out to say, Pastor, I wish this will continue, that the daily devotion that you sent out will continue. I'm very encouraged to hear that. It also uh, made me think that this practice of 31 days where you're daily reading the Word or some inspirational quotes from uh, religious leaders, and then you're actually praying for the staff, for the church, for the board, for visitors that come to our church. Uh, this could inspire you to come up with a personal journey of your own. And I hope that as you cultivate this spiritual habit, it become ingrained and become part of you. That you're doing it on your own. Uh, and when you need a push, then I will give that push again. So that is my prayer. The whole month has been on spiritual renewal. And we have talked about how can we renew ourselves spiritually, physically, emotionally. And I want to talk about today some of the signs of spiritual renewal. Or actually, what, how does it look like? How do I look like when I'm renewed spiritually? You know? And uh, this could have taken nine series and I'm trying today to do in one sermon, so let's see how it goes. But are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Yes? Yes, yes. And I'm praying that God will take your mind captives to Him today. Because this morning's sermon is going to take a little bit of thinking and connecting and following the story. So I would like you to stay with me. And I have been very inspired uh, so the signs of spiritual renewal. And 
one of the signs, one of the signs of spiritual renewal is the active fruits of the Holy Spirit. So when the fruit of the Spirit is active in our life, then we know that there is renewal. There are signs of renewal. So I want to look at, at, the, at the signs of renewal. So Galatians 5, 22 um, <clears throat> and 23, we read uh, just, just now. When you look at the word, the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruits of the Spirit is love. Today, uh, in the East Coast, one of my pastor friend, today is his last Sunday. Today is his last Sunday. They are closing the church after 185 years. And uh, when he was here, uh, he asked me, do you think it is God's will to close the church? And this was weighing heavily on him. And he wanted to hear something from me to say, yeah, it's God's will to close the church. So he was like, okay, I feel good. It's God's will to close the church. So I looked at him and I said, I think you're asking the wrong question. The question that we should ask is, have I been faithful? Right? Because the church is a building. It's an institution. It's a building. But the spiritual church truly is you and I. So as long as we are alive and having fellowship with God, in fact, as long as Christ is alive, the church of Christ will never die. That's a fact. So as long as we are alive and fellowshipping and gathering together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of Christ cannot really be closed down. Right? The question is, are we being faithful in our walk with the Lord? So I asked him that. Have you been faithful? How many years have you served? Are you going to continue to, are you going to, continue to serve the Lord? And he said, yes, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. I'm going to be a chaplain in the hospital and taking care of hospice. So he will continue the, his ministry. So I say, then the church is not dead. The body of Christ that is worshiping in that building are going to be transmitted outside of that building and be a part of another body. And they will continue to praise and worship God. But it, it, it weighs heavily on us. He feels very bad that uh, the church is closing in his time. This was one a vibrant uh, 800 people uh, member congregation. We all go through times of spiritual dryness and drought. Spiritual dryness and drought is common to all of us. Because when you look at the patterns of spiritual renewal, the patterns of spiritual renewal. This is how it looks like when you, when you look it, uh, at the patterns. The pa- it, it, there is dryness and there is depression. Okay? There is dryness and spiritual depression. And then you start seeking. And then you start to see the signs of renewal. These are some of the patterns that you see in our life. So we go through drought and dryness. It is common to all of us. But at a certain point of that time, we know that we have to seek someone or something 
to energize ourselves and to renew ourselves. And the good news is spiritual dryness and drought precedes spiritual renewal. My friends, actually, when you go through, for young people, if you go through the spiritual funk, and you're, you're dry and you've been praying, there's no rain, there's no answer. But joy comes in the morning. There's renewal that's coming in your life. This has been my experience for the past four months. I've been praying seriously from October. I started praying in August. But from October, I've been praying. I, I've been praying to God to say, God, I want to know you. And I've been praying to the Holy Spirit that I, I want to understand your ways better. I want to get close to you. And then he led me to the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, in this case, is the, uh, uh, in this case, is the agape love. I want to look at the agape love, not philo, philo, or eros. I want to look at the agape love, the God love. The love of God, the God love. Now, in order to understand this, I have to tell you a story. And you follow the story with me. Okay? So the first time the word love occurred in the Bible is in Genesis. And this was in conversation with, between Laban and Jacob, the son-in-law. Because Jacob has left uh, uh, his father-in-law, right? Um, and uh, there is also a conversation between Abraham and God. And there is a conversation between Joseph uh, in the Bible. So I'm going to take this family and then bring to the New Testament and talk about it, all right? So first, let's do uh, Abraham because he is the father. Now... In Genesis 22, when you go there, God is telling Abraham, Okay, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, whom you love, and go and sacrifice him. Right? I want you to take the son whom you love and go and sacrifice him. This is a rare demand. Very rare demand. You, you haven't heard it before. We didn't hear much of it again. We might hear it later on. I will come back. God is asking Abraham, okay, you go and sacrifice the son whom you love. Very rare, very rare, rare condition, rare demand to a father who has been waiting to have an heir. He finally got it. Now he's being asked to sacrifice. And then you fast forward and you see this love that was in the beginning with Abraham. You fast forward and come to the New Testament and then God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the question here is also sacrifice. God is being asked 
he is getting ready to sacrifice his own son for the world. So, love does not just come by itself. See, there is an author of love. And this rare love is authored by God himself. So when love is authored, the intent of the author of love, I want to bring out two things. Okay? There are two functions of love. By the original intent. In the original intent, when the author created it. One is love is supposed to love God. One function is to love God. To love the author who invented it, who created it. And the other one is to love the world. It's the people. So when you look at this, love is practical. It's not emotion. It's not a feeling. More than the feeling and the emotion, there is a practical part of love. And what is that practical part of love? The practical part of love of loving the world is played out in your home, in your home field. What is your field? It's your home. Where is home? It's in the world. Right? Who are in the world? There are people in the world. So this, this practical part of love is supposed to be played out in the field, which is your home. That includes your mom, dad, wife, children, husband, relatives, strangers, people that we know. So look at this. Because this love is so rare, it is this rare love, it is the, it is the, rare, the rare love that compels you to do things, radical things. It is the real love that compels you to do radical things. Okay, Because this love is so rare, and I will explain that, uh, I will explain that to you. So this real love compels you uh, to do radical things. Now, when you go into a house of a hungry family and you take food to that family, when you take food to that family, what makes you do that? What makes you do that? What makes you pick up a food knowing that there is a family that is hungry and you take food and you go to them? And that is the rare love that takes you there. It's the rare love that takes you to the house of a widow with compassion because they need care. It's the rare love that takes you to the house of an orphan with compassion that you will clothe and give food. It is the rare love that you go to a house of somebody that doesn't have clothes in the winter or then need clothes and gave them clothes. This is the rare love. This is the function, the practical part of the rare love that is authored by the rare God who invented and created this love, this agape God love that makes you do radical things. Okay? There is a function of this rare love. And also it is, it is this real love that makes you love God. So coming back to the real love, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, whom he really loved. Of course, in the end, God provided the ram and sacrificed the ram instead of his son, because God provided. But the end picture is that Jesus was sacrificed for our sin. He died for our sin. And help me finish this. Uh, there is no greater love than this. 
been dead? Yes, you would lay down your life for a friend, right? There's no greater love. And we see the completion of love in the sacrifice of Jesus. And we are asked to love God and love the world. See, so the first word that is mentioned about love is in terms of Isaac. And then when you come to the New Testament, and God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, two functions of love. Loving God and loving the world. Love your neighbors. How is this practical to our church? One of the things that we say in our church is, we are a house of prayer for all nations and of all nations. Right? For all nations and of all nations. You cannot have a house of prayer of all nations for all nations if you do not love people. It's not possible. If we do not love people that God has created in His image, regardless of whatever nomenclature you want to attach to them, if you do not love with that love that Abraham had for his son Isaac, with that love that God has for his son Jesus, and the love that Jesus has for us, that he died for us, if you don't have that love, we cannot have a house of prayer for all nations. And the word of God says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not a fuzzy-wuzzy feeling. It is an understanding of how God used love first in this world and how he used love with his son. And he asked us to use love in our field, in our home here in Santa Clara. I want us to remember this. In our church, in our church, there is one word that is like an umbrella. There is one word that is like an umbrella. What is that? That is love. Okay? Love is even beyond grace and faith. Everything that we do here in our church, we want it to be a hallmark of love. Every ministry that we do in our church in Santa Clara First Baptist Church, there is one word we hang on to that is the agape love, that is God's love. So in our sermon, I want everyone that comes to our church every Sunday to hear a little bit of that love every sermon. I want people to encounter that love when they come to the life group, when they come uh, to uh, ministry, when we go to San Francisco during the winter, when we do uh, Hope Silicon Valley, when we go to worship in the park, when we do Bethlehem, whatever we do. I want us... To hang on that word love. That everything flows out from that word love. Agabe love. Agabe love of God. That this church is known for what? For God's love. See, are you with me? See, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Because when we love one another, right? When we love one another, that is a sure sign of spiritual renewal. There's a sure sign of spiritual renewal. Christ himself has said that if you love God, then you love your brother. If you love one another, other people will know that you are my disciples. 
In fact, one of the letters that he wrote to the church that he wasn't happy was that we have lost our first love. This love is really, really important. That's why even here it's listed for the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love. So when you hear the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's not just, it's not just a feeling. It has a theological background. It has a theological intent. It has a purpose when the creator, when the author, authored Akabe Love. We're good? Any question on that one? Right? We'll do this together, okay? Because this is important. It's important for our church this morning that we get this, that you and I love one another. And that you and I love our husband and wife, our children at home. That's our home field. Because in doing that, we are truly showing that we love our God. Right? Okay. Can we move on to the next one then? Right. So the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy. Can we say joy? Yeah, come on. Let's hear it. Joy in the Spirit. Yeah. All right. So, joy. So I log into my uh, medical website, because we all have website now, and I log in, and then the first thing there, oh, spread joy, not flu and cold. <laughs> it's like, okay, spread joy, not cold and flu, because this flu has been terrible, right? All of you, many of us have been through it. But it's true there, it's true there. So this joy... What do you think about joy, if I were to ask you? What is this joy, right? Because we started off, the first sentence I said this morning is, the joy of the Lord is my... Thank you, you guys were listening. Even though you said it like with not so much strength. <laughs> Let me paint this picture for you, right? So, the first time the word joy is used is in relationship to... Uh, music and melody. It's harp and timbrel. Okay? Uh, I don't have a harp, right? I don't have a harp. So, but this, here's a dimper here. Right? Uh, and this could be like the harp, I guess. So, uh, and then, uh, so it, it, it's a string instrument here and a timbrel, right? And the joy is associated with that. Uh, that was in Genesis, in Genesis, uh, with uh, Jacob and Laban. Now, the second time it talks about joy, it's in the time of Moses, when he was in his later end of his life, he was going to die. And the joy is related to serving the Lord with gladness of heart, right? And this, when I was reading this scripture, it took me back to when I was a little boy, and I was young, and all of you have been in Sunday school. Well, many of you have been in Sunday school. And we used to sing like the song, like, I've got a joy, joy, right? Uh, do you know that song? I've got it. And I want to do an exercise here. Because joy is associated with celebration with the instrument, and uh, also the gladness of heart to worship the Lord. There are two functions here, right? So, I've got a joy, joy. Can you follow me? One, two, here we go. I've got a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? 
down in my heart, where down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Did it, is that new for you, or you uh, you have you have done this before? All right, okay, we'll do a competition. All right. Alright, we'll do a competition. The left and the right sing first, and the middle will sing later. And see who sings louder, okay? Left and right, come with me. One, two, three, here we go. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my Down in my heart to stay. All right, one more time here. Middle one, two, three. Here we go. I've got the where, where I've got the joy, 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 joy down in down in my heart to stay. Okay, come on, right? All right. Now, okay. Can you, can you turn to someone and do something that I'm really glad you're here this morning, right? Yeah, and you mean it, right? Yes, thank you, right. So, right, now, okay. See the difference between we did that small exercise and the exercise after we did that? Even in, you can see the difference, right? Just in that well, maybe one, two, three minutes that we have. Joy is associated with musical instruments. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the joy of Jesus in my heart, right? And you feel like, okay, I didn't ask you to clap, but you started clapping. See? See, when the joy of the Lord comes in our heart, it's associated with celebration and celebration among ourselves. That is one. But the second part of joy is that we serve the Lord with gladness of heart. And Moses was telling his people in Deuteronomy 28 that you serve the Lord with the gladness of heart and with joy. That is what you have to do. So, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. This joy has two functions again. The joy of gathering God's people in songs and in, in, in melody. So the, the beautiful innate voice and the melodiousness of the musicality and the melody that you produce when you come together as God's people and then you share with one another that is joy inwardly. The outward joy is expressing our devotion and service to God and gladly serving Him because of who He is. Now, how is this translated in our church? So when somebody comes in to our church, I want you to celebrate them. When a visitor comes into our church, I want you to celebrate them. Not just say hi. I mean, there are so many things to say hi, right? Right? I mean, if you're, okay, Chinese, ni hao, and, you know, or ni or you say, hi, what's up? How you doing? You know? Good morning, good evening. And our, 
our interaction ends there. When there is a sign of renewal in a church, we pray for visitors to come to our church. So hard. We'll say, Lord, send people, send people. And God send a people, new person on a Sunday, and they show up, and what do we do? Zup. <laughs> right? We don't celebrate that God answered our prayer. There is no joy. There is no joy. There is no melody. So when people come, okay, it's like Marianne and their, uh, the three grandparents were there, great-grandparents were there when the, when the child came. I remember this with my friend. And they were having the baby before I had it. And uh, he was expressing the joy of having this baby. And they were there in the birthing room. And when the child came, he said, We're so glad you're here. We have been waiting for you. We're so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is joy that when Quinn and Tran come in this morning and I met them for the first time, I'm saying, I'm so glad you're here. And I mean it. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the sign of renewal that we will see in the church. Are you happy that somebody is here sitting with you in this church? Are you joyful Right? That you are praising God together and creating this beautiful melody, this innate, beautiful musicality. And the tone that comes up, it pleases the Lord. That's the joy of the Spirit. <clears throat> Any questions on that? You're thinking about it or like I understood, Pastor, like give me a sign or something <laughs> that I can follow you guys, right? All right. <clears throat> okay. Can we move on to the next one then? Yes. yes. Okay. So the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. peace. Thank you. Thank you, uh, um, um, Julie, right? By the way... This is lots of coins here. Yeah. Lots of coins. Because last week, I said, oh, uh, America for Christ offering, take a little box for your children. Even adult can take it and put it to uh, cultivate discipleship, celebrate leadership, and caring the community. Three things, right? And Julie brought lots of coin here. Lots of coin. Give her a big hand. Right? You're awesome. <clears throat> now... Love, joy, peace. Now, in order to understand peace, I have to tell you a story again, right? And uh, so uh, this is like the conversation between Abraham and God in Genesis 15, when you go back to Genesis 15. And God is basically saying, okay, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have an heir. And Abraham is saying, okay, oh, how will I know that I'm going to get this son? That's the question. And then you would expect that God would give a direct answer, right? But no, I mean, here, I mean, this God is like an Asian God, okay? 
I mean, he's so Asian that I can understand him. Because when you ask an Asian, okay, this is like if you're a European like, or North American, uh, when you ask a question, you expect a direct answer, right? It's either yes or no. It's like even in the staff meeting, when we have staff meeting and they ask a question, I start telling a story and they say, no, we don't want to hear your story. We just want to hear a yes or no, right? I mean, just say yes or no. And I'm like, but I got to tell a story, right? And this God is so much like an Asian God. I understand this God, okay? He's so Asian. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So Abraham is saying, how am I going to have a son? I'm old already. And God said, okay, uh, I'll tell you a story, right? And so you expect like, hmm, where is this going? Bring me a three-year-old heifer. How am I going to get a son? And he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer. What? You know, and bring me a three-year-old female goat, right? Bring me a three-year-old ram and a, and a, and a, a turtle dove and a pigeon. I won't have the patience. Right? I just want to hear yes or no here, right? And then Abraham brought those things, split the animals into half and laid it out except for the pigeon and the turtle. You can read that in Genesis 15 when you go home, right? And what happens is the virtue started coming. These are metaphors, by the way. It has deeper meaning. And he fell into deep sleep and the horror, horror, unimaginable horror and deep darkness came upon Abraham. Hey, let's stop there. What is this? I'm thinking, what is this? The thing is, um, the word deep sleep is the same meaning, the same word that was used was Adam was put to deep sleep and a rib was taken out of him and Eve was created. That was the same word, okay? So Abraham was put into deep sleep by whom? By God. And what happens? This conversation started now. And, uh, and God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, your people are going to serve 400 years as slaves in foreign land. They're going to be afflicted and they're going to be treated badly, but they will come out with great possession. Okay, next. And then, by the way, you're going to, do, you're going to die in an old age. Peacefully. And the word was, you're going to die in peace in a very go- good old age. The first time peace mentioned that. And I'm like, hmm. See, God is telling a story to Abraham when Abraham is having this horrible time and he's seeing the future of his people, the horror of the slavery, dark times that are going to come. And God is sitting by him and having a conversation. You know why? Because peace cannot come without relationship. See? Relationship comes first before you establish peace. And God is having conversation with Abraham. And I'm saying, when you go through these dark times, I'm going to be with you. You're going to come out victorious. Right? You're going to come out victorious. Then you fast forward. And then Christ came and said, uh, My peace I give to you. Not as the world give you. 
Then he walked on the storms, and people are afraid. And he said, peace be still. And he spoke to the storm and said, peace be still, in the darkness, in great horror. Because Abraham said, Abraham said, uh, God said to Abram, he said, I will be your reward. Genesis 15, I'm going to be your reward. I'm like, wow. God's going to be my reward? God's going to be Abraham's reward? I want God to be my reward. How can I have God as my reward? And then I came to the New Testament, and that's what Christ said to us. He died for us and said, I give the peace to you. I am yours. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. Peace that comes from God. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of strife. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not the absence of all the terrible things that are going to happen. Peace is the presence of God and Christ in that horror, in that great darkness, and speaking to us that you're going to come out victorious, you will be okay because you're my child. That's peace. So I had to tell you a story, see? I mean, that's why I say God is so Asian here. He has to make a story to understand that peace. Because sometimes we think peace very lightly, right? Okay. <clears throat> I've got one room for a question. Any question on that? Any question on that? No, let me end with a story then, okay? Because we've been telling a story. You remember in James chapter 1, when James was writing, count it all joy when you face trials and temptations, right? Come on! Who would count it joy when there is trials and tribulation in our life? This doesn't make sense at all. Okay? This does not make sense. Because we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, joy. And so I had to go back. Oh. Huh? Yes, don't do that. There is no joy in that. <laughs> Somebody's ear is hurting, right? And I went to the singer in Psalm, 10, Psalm 105. And started at 17, 18, and 19. And they were talking about Joseph. That Joseph will be sold into slave. He will be cast in iron in the leg. And God will test him until the time comes. I'm like, hmm. Count it all joy when there's testing and trial. Some is saying about the testing of Joseph. So I went back to Joseph. One of the ways that Joseph maintained his faithfulness to God is because of joy. That he found joy in the testing. You never heard Joseph complain all the years that he was sold in slave, in prison, and God lifted him up at the end, right? So the word tested is part of joy. I'm going to round this up. I need your attention for 60 seconds. Can I have it? Okay. So in the testing, Joseph did not waver. He did not complain or lose his faith. And God set him up in a high position. Now, joy is not what we feel. Are you with me? Joy is not what we feel, but joy is what God feels in you. See? 
Because we think before that joy is about how we feel. No, joy is what God feels in you. God was joyful that Joseph was tested. He did not fail. Because love never fails. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And God has so much joy in Joseph. And that become the strength of Joseph too. That in prison, in slavery, he was able to keep his eyes on God. Isn't that amazing? See, it's all there. 